Everybody, it is Saturday night, March the 13th, year 2002. I'm Wong Zhu, and we're going to kick off the show with a uh, gal who has a website on one of my favorite personalities of the Golden Days of Radio. Of course, he did movies, television, and Samantha Kelly, welcome to Yesterday USA. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Sure. How did you get interested in Dick Powell? Well, I, I got really interested in old movies in general, and somebody recommended I see 42nd Street, so that's the first time I ever saw him, and then just in my movie watching, I kept finding him, and um, eventually saw him in Murder, My Sweet, which I was just blown away by, so I just got really interested, and the reason I decided to do the website and hopefully potentially write a book is um, I, there wasn't really one available, and I wanted to know about his life, so... Figured if there's not really one available, then I'll do it. <laughs> you, you put together a really nice biography about Dick on the website. How did you put that together? Mostly it's um, bits and pieces I've picked up over the years um, from other websites, from movie magazines, um, other biographies. I drew a lot from June Allison's um, autobiography. And then later, um, Matthew Kennedy wrote a book about Joan Blondell that helped a lot. So just piece, piecing things together. Mm. So what do you think your most interest is in Dick? Is it the movie side, the TV side, the radio? What 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 do you think your true love is with his personality? Well, I'm definitely the movie buff ahead of everything else, so I would say that's what I'm most interested in. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about Dick Powell is that if you get bored of reading about the movies or whatever, you can just turn on to those other things. He's got the TV, he's got the radio, he's got all the crazy family life and all that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in it all. Mm. Well, we'll talk about where did Dick, where was Dick Powell born and where did he came from? He was born in Mountain View, Arkansas, which um, he only lived there, I think, five years of his life. And uh, the house where he was born still stands. There's a plaque outside. Most people in the area, from what I understand, don't really know who he is, but there is all that memorabilia that you can look at if you pass by the house. Then he moved to Berryville. Um, his dad moved around a little bit because he was... Um, working for a traveling salesman for um, uh, International Harvester. Wow, okay. A lot in, in Arkansas. And uh, so he moved to Berryville, and I believe when he was eight, he moved to Little Rock, Arkansas, mm-hmm. where he stayed until he started traveling for uh, his bands and stuff when he was getting famous. And did he have any brothers and sisters? 
He had two brothers. He had an older brother who was named Howard, and he had a younger brother named Luther. And Howard was actually pretty musical, too. Mm-hmm. And um, if you talk to any of his family members or whatever, they always say, well, you know, Howard was really talented. He was really musical. He sang really well. And Dick and Howard used to go um, to, like, the synagogues and the churches and sing for money. <laughs> that was one of their first jobs. Sure. Uh, when when Dick was learning to play the piano, his mother tried to teach Howard and Dick to play piano. Dick was mad that Howard picked it up faster than he did, so he quit. And so he had a very minimal knowledge of to, how to play the piano, but he ended up teaching himself saxophone and banjo. And I believe he played clarinet. There's a bunch of different instruments that he taught himself to play. Mm. Then where did he go from there? What was his big break as a as a musician slash singer? Um, well, his, he performed in dance bands and things. Um, dropped out of college to do that, and he traveled around. Um, he was in Pittsburgh and Indianapolis and um, all sorts of places in the Midwest area. And um, I would say his big break came when he got uh, signed with the Charlie Davis Band, which is who he learned to play the banjo for. Mm. And uh, that gave him a lot of exposure. He also had a radio hookup in Pittsburgh, and he had um, a little group of fans called the Powwow Club that would tune in to watch him. And they actually really helped him when he became a movie star because he already had that fan base there. Right. When he started in Hollywood, he got all these fan letters and things, and they said, wow, this guy's really popular. We've got to keep him in movies. (laughs) So, uh, what happened after the band day? Did he join a couple more bands? When, how did he finally make the move to Hollywood? Um, there was a talent scout that saw him when he was performing with Charlie Davis. And they get, came up to him and offered him a screen test for a role in The Crooner. It's a Warner Brothers movie, which he didn't actually get the role in that. That um, was made... I can't remember who got the lead role, but Anne Dvorak was in it, who he later starred with in Thanks a Million. But uh, he tested well, so they gave him a small role in Blessed Event, which is his first movie. And just from there, um, he moved out to Hollywood soon after that and just started getting more roles. He got a contract with Warner Brothers. Now, what about his first recordings? Do we have anything from him before 1929 that... Uh, that was on a 78 record or anything, or was it, uh, you know, have any idea in terms of, you know, his early part of his singing career that we have a copy of? Yeah, there are um, records available. They're pretty hard to find, so they're kind of expensive if you do find them, but he recorded with Vocalion, and uh, I have actually several different recordings from the 20s. It's, uh, they're all late 20s. I think the first one he made was in 1927. And he sounds so different if you listen to these things. I don't know if it's um, the technology of the recording or if it's just that he wasn't um, trained properly to sing. He sounds very much more nasal than he did later on when he started making movies. So Mm. it's really interesting to hear it. And he also kind of picks up those, um, uh, like the vote-o-dee-do kind of. Yeah, yeah. Those kind of things, and mm-hmm. it's just really interesting to hear him as a 20s singer, because it definitely has its own unique style in comparison to his 1930s records and later records. Now, by the 1930s, his records, were they more the crooner style? How, what was his style like in the 30s, per se? Yeah, definitely the crooner. He was, I always kind of compared him to being Crosby in that way. Okay. He had um, sort of that romantic crooner type of 
an image and um that baritone style of his a little bit mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he originally started out as a tenor and then his voice deepened over the years probably because he was a very heavy smoker mm-hmm. but uh yeah he had that sort of romantic thing and mostly his recordings when he was in um those musical films are of songs from the musicals he did a couple that weren't from movies he was in but then later after he stopped making musical films he did a few records and um he did some of the classics like old shep which elvis recorded later and um he did over there that famous world war one song yeah did did he make any song famous from from the movies that later became famous from the 30s or so um, yeah, there's lots of them. He had, um, the We Are In The Money song. Okay. The Gold Diggers in 1933. He had Lullaby of Broadway. Yeah, that's a big one. Yep. Mm, yeah, he didn't sing that in Gold Diggers in 1935 when he shot it in the film, but he recorded that one and that was a big hit for him. Um, there's lots of them. He did, uh, one of my favorites is With Plenty Of Money And You from Gold Diggers in 1937. He made a lot of those Gold Digger movies. Um... I don't know, all kinds. He did lots of lots of records. He was probably equally known as a singer as he was as a movie star in the thirties. And then he decided he wanted to break away from that, so And definitely just time to think about it, everybody. He had his he was a big star in the Hollywood Hotel radio show mm-hmm. in the mid thirties. And did he have some other radio shows in in the mid thirties besides Hollywood Hotel? Um I don't know if there was anything as famous as Hollywood Hotel came to be. Mm-hmm. He was in um, Campana Serenade, I hope I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. which was um, kind of like a band show where he would um, sing some songs that were popular of the day and um, introduce other people doing the same. Um, he did the hip, the Your Hit Parade, I think it was called. Yep, yep, that's a big-time show, yep. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of shows, either he was a host and a singer, or he just kind of did everything. He was an MC a lot. But he also did a lot of appearances on other radio programs as a guest. So he has a huge, huge list of radio appearances. Uh, anything, any guest shot that caught your eye when you were looking at some of his guest shots uh, on radio in the 30s? Uh, I, I imagine other other shows, maybe not known today probably, but... Right. Yeah. Well, from the 30s, mm-hmm. I was very excited when I saw that he was on uh, the Edgar Bergen show with Charlie McCarthy. Ah, okay. Which was, you know, later 50s time, but um, sure. it was kind of cool because he was a f- Edgar Bergen, so they kind of um, appeared on each other's things. Edgar was on a couple of his television shows, and uh, the episodes, I've I've actually only heard one of the Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy's with Dick Powell, but it's a really cool episode. He talks about uh, why Charlie McCarthy shouldn't become a private eye, and it's so good, and he sings a song about it. It's just really kind of fun and silly, but <laughs> I love Mortimer Snurd, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, Carly McCarthy was a big-time hit in 36, 37, and he was on the radio for 18 or 19 years, so I could see why. Dick would have had some good guest shots on that show, you know. What about getting back to the movies? What was your big break in the early 30s in the movies? What really got him, got him going? 42nd Street definitely did. Hmm. It, just on its own, it revolutionized musicals. You know, before all that, before Busby Berkeley came on the scene, 
musicals are really static. And I mean, you have to think, too, this was the beginning of the talkie era. So it was hard for people to, you know, use a moving camera and things like that. To them, that was a novel idea. So right. that's just, you know, that's what happens in movies. But then it was really shocking for them. So when Buzzy Berkeley did all these, you know, really extravagant shots of girls in formation making these kaleidoscopic images and um, doing all the overhead shots and things, that was really, you know, amazing to people. So they flocked to see his movies, and 42nd Street is really the big one that kind of put him on the, on the scene, and Dick happened to be lucky enough to be cast in it. And he was also lucky enough to be cast opposite Ruby Keeler, yeah. who became, you know... Yeah, Al Jolson's wife, and she was a big-time star in the 30s, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think, and I want to swear, I think it was eight or nine movies that they made together. So mm -hmm. they were definitely looked at as a couple. Mm -hmm. And um, several of their movies were made with, with Busby Berkeley, so there's a lot of those kaleidoscopic shots and um, really cool music. Uh, it was Harry Warren and Al Dubin who made a lot of his music for Warner Brothers, and a lot of it became a hit for him. Was Dick always under a Warner Brothers contract throughout the 30s and into the 40s, or did he, did he eventually go to another studio, or did he freelance? When, how was his, uh, his association in the movies? He stayed with Warner Brothers in the beginning. Um, he sometimes was loaned out to other studios. He made Too Busy to Work with Fox, um, with Will Rogers. That was really early in his career. Once they realized that they had a hit with him, they kind of kept him around. But it was toward the end of the 30s that he, his career started to fizzle out, and he wasn't really happy. So he actually, at the time he was married to Joan Blondell, he broke his contract and her contract with Warner Brothers so that they could go and freelance. And then eventually he signed with Paramount and got mad with them, so then he went to RKO. How did he meet Joe Blondell? Um, I believe that they met during some of the Busby Berkeley movies. Um, it could either be Gold Diggers in 1933 or maybe even Convention City. I'm not sure which came first off the top of my head. But um, it was one of those Warner Brothers movies they met on the set. Joan was married in the early 30s. So, you know, there was no romantic, you know, connection right away. Right. And then, you know, over the years they became really good friends. And when she started having marital trouble... He kind of stepped in and, you know, was the shoulder to cry on for her. And so when she got her divorce, she saw how great Dick was with her son, Norman. And, you know, she kind of mm -hmm. started to have eyes for him. So they ended up getting married in 1936. And um, the film that followed that was Stage Struck, which they star in together. And it was a huge hit, not because it's a great movie, but because they were married. So people wanted to see the new married couple and their first movie together as a husband and wife, so. Yeah, they even did a uh, luxury theater in late nineteen thirty six together. Mm -hmm. And that, that they showed a billboard that that they here they were a new married couple, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were a big time they were publicity. <laughs> so by uh what what were career what was Dick's career like, let's say, late 30s, early 40s? Was it still going strong? Was it was the scene started to not be as popular? What, what do you think the period was like? Um, well, at that time, he stopped making movies with Ruby Keeler. Mm -hmm. So his popularity waned because of that. 
it got a little bit of a boost because of his marriage to Joan Bondell, but the scripts he was getting weren't very good, and the music he was getting wasn't becoming as big a hit as it was before. So, and he was getting older. He was, you know, he always said that. Let's face it, I'm getting older. I need to start growing up. And the people at the studio really didn't want him to be anything except for that crooner because he had made so much money for them doing that. They thought, you know, let's milk it for what it's worth. we got to keep up with a good thing. But he wanted to do something different. And that was part of the reason that he broke his contract with Warners. He just wanted to be able to do something that he wanted to do, not just make money for a studio. So um, he, when he and Joan split off from the studio, they made a couple movies together. They weren't anything major. Um, and then he started kind of freelancing. He got a couple really good movies. He made Christmas in July with Preston Sturges. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, he got a lot of fluffy kind of movies. The thing that gave him his big break again was when he got to play Philip Marlowe in Murder My Sweet, and it absolutely revolutionized his image. Um, he was now cast as a tough guy, and he made lots of noir type movies after that. And um, it really kind of revived him. If he hadn't gotten that movie, I don't think that he would be as well remembered today. And I don't think that um, he would have had that second career. He probably would have gone off and done something else in business. Or How did he get Philip model? He originally wanted to get the role of um, Walter Neff in Double Indemnity. And he really pressed the studio to give him that role. But... They said, no, you're a crooner. You can't, you can't do this. This is not your image. The public won't accept you as that. But then they gave it to Fred McMurray, who previously had done a lot of lighthearted comedy type of roles. So pretty mad about that. And so he left the studio, and he went over to RKO. They were kind of trying to woo him to signing a contract with them. But they wanted him to be the crooner. <laughs> and he told them, no, I'm not signing a contract with you unless you're willing to give me a chance to do that part. I want to do it. I think I can do it. You need to give me a chance. So I said, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, look, you have a chance. And they were planning on making Farewell, My Lovely, which they changed the name of the movie because they thought, well, if Dick Powell starring in Farewell, My Lovely, they're going to think it's a musical. So they changed the name to Murder, My Sweet, so they'd know. And it was a huge, huge hit for him. Who was in the movie with him in Murder, My Sweet? Mike Mazurki plays Moose Malloy. Oh, yeah. This big, hulking, tough guy. Yep. And uh, there's uh, Claire Trevor is in it. She's the female femme fatale. Mm-hmm. Um, now my mind is blinking. <laughs> Those are the two big ones I think more people would, would remember. Right. <laughs> it's it's such a good movie. It's really kind of a staple of noir. Yeah. If you want to watch a noir movie, watch Murder, My Sweet. And there's a good radio version of it, everybody, on the Lux Radio Theater, June, I think, 11th or 18th in 1945, just in case you want to hear a radio version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, then, how did he branch off into doing some detective work on radio, like uh, uh, Rogue Gallery and stuff like that? Well, I mean, that new image of him as the tough guy, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of him being the crew, he was identified as the tough guy, so... I kind of wonder sometimes if he did movies like Mrs. Mike and things that were in contrast to that, just to let the public know, hey, I'm not just a tough guy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he uh, made a lot of radio shows. He started with Rogue's Gallery, which was kind of a comical spin on the 
Michael, uh, Private Eye. Right. So, and he had that uh, alter ego named Ugor, which is rogue backwards. Whenever he'd get knocked out, Ugor would come into the scene and help him figure out the case. <laughs> but uh, that led to his participation in Richard Diamond, Private Detective, which is an excellent series. It ran for a really long time. And it definitely had a formula. You can listen to an episode and say, okay, here's Helen Grail's going to come on and she's going to... She's going to talk about how, she, you know, he needs to stay home with her. He's going to break their date. And at the end of the show, he's going to sing to her. And, you know, he's always going to figure out the case. It's, but it's still interesting every time. Yeah. The dialogue's really good. It was one of Blake Edwards' very first thing that he ever put together mm-hmm. and wrote that. And, of course, Blake have had a great career since then. And you know, I mean, he 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 did have an opportunity to take on take on another radio show called Johnny Dollar. Yeah, we um, I heard like the audition that he did for that. Right. And the consensus from people that I've talked to about it has been that he wasn't as good as the other guy who got the part. So you know, maybe it's good that he didn't get the part. Yeah, I I heard he was offered both, but I think he made the right choice in Richard Diamond. Yeah, definitely. Because he has a chance to have the sense of humor, which I think is really important. Because even if you watch Murder My Sweet, he's he's always joking about something. There's that scene in the uh, the mausoleum he calls it is the Vale household, and he does this little dance hopscotch thing on the tile floor. Things like that, I think, that really add to his performances because you know that even though he's playing the tough guy, he has a sense of humor, and I think that that's important to liking the characters that he plays. I'm talking to Samantha Kelly, everybody. She has a website, pretty simple to look for, www.dickpal.net. And Samantha, any idea what you hope to do? Are you going to hopefully try to put together a book? What, what's your future hope on, on your Dick Pal, Dick Pal projects? Yeah, I definitely, I'm hoping to start writing this summer. I'm graduating from college this um, coming quarter. So once that's over and done with and I have some time to breathe, I'm going to start writing the book officially. But the website was definitely created to kind of help me organize my thoughts and get in touch with anybody that's interested in Dick Powell. To it's, a great, it's a great site. Thanks. I really appreciate that you did that. Because I've always been a Dick Powell fan because of the radio stuff and a really good singer, too, if you think about it. Um how did he meet June Allison? They made a movie. Well, okay. <laughs> he was married to Joan Blondell, and she was in Best Foot Forward, which was a Broadway show, and it starred Betty Hutton. Well, uh, Dick saw the show, and he liked what he saw, so he went backstage to greet the cast and say hello to everybody. And he actually singled June out of the crowd, and he, he said, I want to talk to that girl with a funny voice. So he goes and he, he chats with her for a little bit. She was really shy and really stage-struck. So, you know, it wasn't a love-at-first-sight kind of a meeting. But when she came to Hollywood to film Best Foot Forward, um, she got connected with Lucille Ball, who was in the film. And then they made Meet the People together. Dick starred in it with Lucille Ball, and June Allison had a small part. So Lucille said, hey, June, here's Dick Powell. Have you met before? And they got introduced. So he started to kind of mentor her and help her along, help her choose which roles are best for her. Um, She was offered the role in Two Girls and the Sailor with Gloria Graham and Van Johnson. Originally, she was handed the Gloria Graham part. But Dick said, June, 
you're not this glamour girl, you're not as beautiful as Gloria is, you need to take this other part, the other part's better. And June was kind of hurt by that. She said, what, I'm not glamorous and beautiful like Gloria Graham is, but she was able to see past that and that he was giving her good advice, so she took the other part and it made her a huge star. So, I mean, he definitely in her career, but it definitely grew into love, too. That was when he and Joan Blondell were having troubles and they ended up separating, so... It was very kind of an easy decision for him to <laughs> start dating June, and mm-hmm. she kind of pressured him to get married, and that's what happened. That's what happened. Together until he died. Mm. Now, did Dick have any children? Yes, he has four kids. All of them are still living. Really? Uh-huh. Uh, Norman Powell is not his biological son, but he adopted him. He's, he's um, Joan Blondell's son. Okay. And then there's Ellen Powell, who he had with Joan, and then um, adopted Pamela Powell with June Allison. June was told that she couldn't have kids. She had a bad accident um, on a bike when she was a kid where a tree fell on her, so the doctor said, you can't physically have children. Well, surprise, surprise, she (laughs) could have children because (laughs) she got pregnant with Dick Jr., Richard Jr., Um, and then he was born on Christmas Day in 15, that was the last kid he had. Wow. What happened to Dick um, after Richard Diamond was done? Did he start to go full-time into television? What What was his career like in the 50s? Yeah, he um, his last movie was made in 1954 um, called Susan Here with Debbie Reynolds. Really cute movie. But at the time, he was kind of trying to woo um, Howard Hughes mm-hmm. because he wanted to become head of, of RKO Studios. But, you know, Howard Hughes, everything about him was kind of a difficult guy. And Dick didn't end up getting the job. But it gave him a really good background for, he he directed a couple movies. He learned about the business and how to be that mogul. So he started um, four-star company television, whatever, (laughs) with um, Charles Boyer and David Niven. And even though... He had the partners. Dick definitely took a leadership role in that company and went on to make television shows like Four Star Playhouse and um, the Dick Powell's in Great Theater. He helped start the June Allison DuPont show, um, all kinds of things. And he, he mentored Aaron Spelling. Aaron Spelling was a young writer for him early on and uh, did all kinds of stuff. He got a lot of famous actors, he kind of gave them their big break. He had Sammy Davis Jr. on his show. He had um, uh, Robert Redford on his show. All kinds of different people that today are icons. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing your research? Are you still got to dig up more articles? What do you think you are getting ready for your book? Are you still looking for stuff? Can people send you material? Where are you in your research? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm always looking for stuff. I feel like you can't have enough information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anything and everything you can send me, send it along. But uh, I have a great deal of old movie magazines. Mm-hmm. I know it's not necessarily the best idea to rely on them very heavily because, you know, back in the 50s and beyond, they tended to make things up sometimes, and it's it's a little bit harder to rely on that information as hard fact. Uh-huh. Since there really aren't any biographies available about him, Things from books about film noir, things about Buzzy Berkeley musicals, things about Warner Brothers. Um, 
books from people that he knew, autobiographies from people that he knew, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, since he died so young, he you know didn't write a book that I know about, and uh, that that kind of became trendy in the trendy in the seventies and eighties. So anybody who wrote things, there's James Cagney's book, there's June Allison's book, uh, Joan Bondell, her book is sort of autobiographical, but it's fiction. You can still glean things from that. There's a book about Marion Davies, all kinds of different things. Um, did Dick have any papers from his company that were donated to a college or the university? Have, have you looked up anything like that yet? I haven't been able to find anything yet. Okay. It tends, I feel like colleges and universities tend to be a little bit exclusive, so if you weren't a student, they're a little bit difficult to get things from. This might not be the case for every place I've, um, you know, kind of looked at. Even I go to Ohio State and trying to find, I know they have old issues of variety and things like that, but they're housed on a different part of campus, so it's kind of hard to find things even when you know where they are. So I'm in the, that process, definitely, right? Okay. Have you tracked down any of the family members yet, or is that still a future goal of yours? Or uh, um, And uh, all uh, the different houses that Dick lived in, are they around in Hollywood and uh, in, in Arkansas? And... Um, I've looked up a couple of his houses. Um, from what I understand, some of them exist and some of them do not. There was recently uh, Pamela Powell and Richard Powell went and kind of spoke while they had a screening of Reformer in the head at a house that um, Dick and June Allison lived in for a while. So I know there are still some standing. Um, I have been in contact with Richard Powell. Hopefully he's listening because I told him about the show. Oh, good. And uh, Norman Powell is um, still difficult to get a hold of. I've been trying to talk to Pamela, and I've been trying to talk to... Ellen, but haven't gotten any responses to them, so hopefully they respond. Okay. <laughs> are, you, are you still looking for any movies, any TV shows, any radio shows, or anything that you're looking for that you don't have yet? Um, I have most of the Richard Diamonds. Mm-hmm. I have all of the Rogues Gallery. Mm-hmm. Anything else I'm looking for is in terms of radio, especially Hollywood Hotel. I haven't been able to track down any of that. Ah, I, I, I'll continue a site uh, where you can find nine of them. Oh, awesome. Good, good. I'll send you a couple of websites. I think that will help you in your research. Oh, thank you. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Cool. What about the movie? Does all his films exist? One is Convention City, which is pretty famous for not existing. Okay. Most sources, um, the studio burned all the prints. So, you know, if anybody has a copy, send it along. <laughs> Everybody in the film world would love you forever. Yeah. But, um... I actually got a hold of A King's Vacation, which has been the rarest movie and hardest movie for me to find. Okay. Which he has a very, very small part in, but it's a cute movie, so I really kind of wish that they'd put it out on DVD eventually. Mm. But for the most part, I've been able to find his movies from other film collectors or, you know, from legitimate releases I've had. Um, I've been lucky because they released two Buzzy Berkeley DVD sets while I was researching and stuff, so. That's good. Lucky. What about his um, four-star Playhouse TV series? Are all those survive, or? Um, as far as I know, they all survive. I haven't been able to find all of them. Okay. There have been a couple DVD releases. Um, some that are compilations with other episodes that he would did not appear in. Um, there's actually a set called Four Star Playhouse. It's like the Dick Powell version. There's four episodes on there. Um. They just released Dick Powell's Zane Gray Theater Season 1, which is really exciting because he did intros to all of those. 
So even if he's not in the episode, you can still see him do this short little couple-minute stint thing, which is really nice. I, I was talking to a fan, somebody that got to see these shows when they first aired on television, and he was really young at the time, but they meant a lot to him. And it's so nice that they're re-releasing these things because people like me who never got to see them in the first place yeah. can see them. But then the people who did get to see them can kind of relive them and those memories. So hope they keep keep doing that. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Well, once again, let's talk about your website. What's on your website? All kinds of stuff. Tell me. I have um, a biography session, mm-hmm. and I I try to put pictures in, but I don't have a gallery specifically for photos. And I, I don't really like doing that, but I try to put in as many photos as I can. Um, there's a biography section. There's a filmography section with a link to each of the films that he was in. Um, I try to put, like, YouTube clips and things if I can find them. There's a discography, which has all of his 78 records that he made, including, like, 33s and things, reissues that they made later on, um, and CDs that I found. Um, There is a television section, which has links to... um, It doesn't have links to every single episode of TV that he's been in, but anything that I've been able to find or that I've written a synopsis about, Mm -hmm. I try to link to. There's a radio section with the same kind of deal. Um, I have a, a section for, it's a bibliography section, because I kind of want to let people know that this is legitimate stuff, I don't, I'm not just making stuff up, so I have like a bibliography area so you can see what I've gotten my information from, and a link section, all kinds of stuff. I try, I'm actually in the process of making a family tree too, Great. which I originally started just for my own purposes, but it's kind of helped the family out a little bit too. That's great. Well, Samantha, if there's anything I can help you with, I, I think I know a publisher who would like to publish the book. Oh, thank you. And so if you ever need some help, I'll send you some links that I know that I think that would help you. And anybody out there, if you have some ideas, you know, if you got some Dick Powell pictures or articles or you know some things, uh, what's the best way, Samantha, can people contact you? Is it through the website? Yeah, on the website there's a contact me section. Mm-hmm. So you can just an email through that way. Um, I, I love, I love getting emails, so even if you're stopping by to say, hey, you like the site or whatever, do it. <laughs> and, uh, everybody, we do have a link to Samantha's website right now on our homepage, and if not, it'll be, it'll, we'll keep it up there. So, uh, Samantha, I want to thank you for your time this evening. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. It's been fun. And we'll keep in touch. Okay, thanks. You, you bet. Good night. And that's Samantha Kelly, and go to dickpal.com. Not everybody. Well, let's get on the phone and get a hold of Patricia in a second. If I am fancy free and I love to wander, it's just the gypsy in my soul. There's something calling me from the way out young. It's just the gypsy in my soul I've gotta give in to my emotions I'm only content 